We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Experience. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, Week 14 Waiver Wire Pickups, Week 13 Recap. We're going to take a look ahead towards the showdown slate for Monday evening, plus a few spreads, a few props, potentially from those games. We can find any that we like, and we'll go over the injury report for the week. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, what you do is smash the like button for the episode, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, tell me your top three defenses for the fantasy football playoffs. We're there. Weeks 14, 15, and 16. Maybe you only need to pick up one. Maybe you need to pick up a different one every single week. I don't know. I don't know who you have on your team and who you do not have on your team. Therefore, you have to put it in the comment section with your DraftKings handle, and boom, you'll be in the draw for 20 DK dollars. If you want to get into a draw for 60 DK dollars, what you need to do is subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Download those episodes, especially this time of the year, people. If you're listening out there, download all the episodes, whether you listen to them or not. You can just download and delete them. Uh, it'll really help out the show, especially this time of year. Everyone's like getting out of fantasy football, but you know, if we can keep downloading all the episodes, we'll move up the iTunes charts. Currently number five amongst all fantasy podcasts. And well, we're probably not going to reach the footballers. Let's try to knock off ESPN or something like that. With the help of you people out there and a potential giveaway of 60 DK dollars, then you too can be in the draw for 20 DK bucks. So again, subscribe, download the episodes, five-star review, DraftKings handle, something you like about the show. Boom, you'll be in that draw. Winners from last week. We have of the 60 DK dollars, I gave three winners away. 14 chances. Travils. 177 and K Jowl. All right, you're all the winners of 60 DK bucks, the winners of 20 DK bucks. The Zinman, Azric, Davy Dave, F Smith 1171, and Zanzir Golden, the winners of 20 DK dollars. I will submit those names after the show, so you should have them by like Wednesday or 
Wednesday at this time next year. I don't know how this how all this works, but eventually you're going to get it. You've been submitted, so boom, you're in that draw. Joining me on the line to break all of this down from the Sal Vetri YouTube channel, like he is every single Monday, Sal Vetri, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How you doing, Pat? How was your weekend? It was a good weekend. I stayed away from the betting card outside of any spreads whatsoever. I played one prop, hit the prop, and you know sometimes it's always just best to narrow down the scope of your wagering. I always feel like I do better when I try not to get too large on my high horse and try to bet like 20 things. And you, you bet one that you feel confident about and move on your way. So it worked. Yeah, there you go. I, I saw I saw the, the tweet in the Instagram for the Jameis Winston. I saw that he got there, what, 20 rushing yards? So yeah, congrats on that. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good weekend over here. Uh, definitely, probably can't be. I don't know if you saw what happened in the Millie Maker, the, the guy who got knocked out of first place on some crazy events, but can't be any worse than that. So overall, good weekend compared to that, at least. Yeah, same thing happened to Leone. Uh, he was he ended up losing on the cash line because of the exact same thing. Do you want to walk the people through what actually happened to the Millionaire Maker? Yeah, so I mean, it was the it was the four o'clock game. It was pretty much nothing else left on the board. It was the Raiders and the Chiefs, and the Raiders. Score at the end, there's there's nothing really major. They're down like what? They pretty much end they they're still losing by twenty one. It's the end of the game. And Kansas City defense ends up blocking the extra point. The very rare returning it for two points. And I think it probably combined for like a five fantasy point overall play right at the end of it. Uh and it bumped out the guy, I think it was like Cardi or Carney, uh five two nine was in first place of the minute maker, bumped him down to third place. So he goes from a million to 40,000 two guys with the exact same lineup actually split the millie maker so yeah it was like one of the last possible plays you could have on the entire slate because they don't count the sunday night anymore and it was a five point six point swing maybe for the defense either way he ended up losing by less than a point in the millie maker uh to two other people uh, do you have the DraftKings lineup in front of you yeah his so his lineup um it, he lost by 0.4 points um <laughs> brutal he he ends up losing by 0.4 he was up by five points before that play. So it seems like nothing else can possibly go wrong. He had an Eagle stack, Carson Wentz, Derrick Henry, Miles Sanders, Alshon, ran it back with Devontae Parker, had Cooper Cup in there with Tyler Higby, Leonard Fournette in the flex, and then he had the Rams defense. Uh, I actually had a pretty good week on DraftKings, uh, and the Wentz stack really paid off. So shout out to my guys at Daily Roto. I wasn't really... I talked it through with Roz, and I was like, I'm going to use just a ton of golf. And then I ended up deciding to split my golf shares into golf and went shares because they were right around the same price point. And it gave me access to two of the games. And once I started looking at the weather reports for the games, maybe I overanalyze it too much. It's not like I faded those games completely. But when I wanted my pure game stacks, I wanted optimal conditions. So I ended up doing the game that was indoors in Arizona with all the Rams guys and a lot of that Miami and Philadelphia game. And the good thing about it was I don't think I had Devontae Parker in many spots. That was like a one-off. But in all my went stacks, I had Devontae Parker and Mike Gesicki. So that really turned out well for me. The biggest one that I had, um, and just it, the worst part is, like, I don't know how you go about tournament selection. But, like, when I enter my league, the Pat Mayo Experience DraftKings Open, which, once the link is available, you'll be able to find in the description and comment section of this video and podcast. So if you want to get in right away, boom. You should do that because it filled up rather quickly last week. Uh, I put my lineups in early, like the first two builds that I had. And the first two builds that I had were Nick Foles lineups that had Ronald Jones in them. <laughs> so I'm looking at all my lineups. Like I, I ended up putting like 12 uh, just across like some of the mass multi-entry ones. And I have these like three outlier lineups at the very end that are basically in last place versus the other ones that are cashing. I'm like, what the hell did I do here? I didn't because I built 
the three right away that I completely forgot about it. And like, I changed my tune on the week after I did the show and we got to the weekend and I looked at the ownership and the weather report. And I ended up on these other lineups. Like what the hell happened? I looked at my contest. Fortunately, I snuck one of the good lineups and the other two were Nick Foles lineups. Like Nick Foles could not have hurt me more last weekend. Yeah, no, Nick Foles and, and the, and the Ronald Jones, him, I think he got benched at one point, but yeah, no, I was, I was very much on Foles coming into probably Saturday and, the line for Jacksonville ended up dropping. That game was dropping a good amount, but the odd thing was Tampa Bay's total increased a point, even with like the worries about weather, whereas Jacksonville dropped three points throughout the day. Uh, so I got off of a lot of Nick Foles, which got me onto a, a little bit more Wentz, but pretty much just went uh, in a bunch of different places. I got to more Jameis on the other side of the game, and that didn't work out great. Probably the, the worst fantasy possible game for Jameis. He, ha- he doesn't even end up throwing any interceptions. It's just a spot where a lot of running, I think they had a pick six in that one. It was a very weird outcome. Yeah, it was a very atypical Buccaneers game where usually they fall behind Jameis or or they throw themselves way ahead. Uh, and then eventually they throw themselves out of the game and they have to continue throwing again. But uh, this has to be the fewest attempts Jameis has attempted in the game all season. Oh, yeah. And I mean, he didn't let people down. He had he had a fumble, so he had a turnover in there. But he had a, uh, a Mike Evans open on a double move for like 50 yards in. He ends up missing that one. That was like the only opportunity for them to actually score points via the the pass. They ended up just going yeah in on the ground, and the defense really held that one down. It was a very odd game all the way around. Minshew coming in at halftime, just odd. Well, and on that Mike Evans double route, he, I believe that ended up being pass interference. Uh, like yeah, it they, did, it they, did, they yeah. knew they knew that he was going to be behind the defense, so essentially they just like held on to him. Smart move, yeah. mind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the it's the right move to make. Frustrating for sure. So what were some of your big takeaways from the week? Uh, do you have any particular takes on San Francisco and Baltimore, like what they showed you in that game? Because I couldn't glean too much from it. Like both defenses are good in both offense. I mean, wh- like, do you think that San Francisco developed a template to slow down Lamar Jackson? Or do you think it's because their personnel up front is so fast that they were able to keep him in front of them most of the time? Like it's not going to work every single time, but this is probably like, the worst Baltimore's offense has looked in quite some time. Yeah, it's, I think it's the worst it's looked. I think just personnel in general up front, but then in the in the secondary as well, just to be able to lock down most of what they have out there. And, and you saw in this game, Lamar threw um, for, what, 100 yards, and he had 70 of those yards going to his top two tight ends. Just receivers not used at all. Hollywood Brown caught one pass for a yard. Not much going on there. So it's, once again, just Lamar on the ground. And it's just crazy. Even against one of the fastest, best defensive lines, he still goes for 100-plus. Honestly, I thought I thought Baltimore played fine. They obviously come out with a win. It's just, I think, if anything, San Fran got lucky to be in that game. They get a touchdown to Debo Samuel on a fourth and two where okay, it's that, just th- that That was definitely pass interference, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. So I think they got just things going their way uh, early on in that one, and then they end up missing field goals. So I thought San Fran... It was a well-played game, but I thought they probably hung around more than they probably should have in that one. So, yeah, I think I think just overall, I thought Baltimore right now, I think they're the best team in the league. And just after that win, it kind of makes me a little more confident in that. So I don't think that Lamar Jackson did anything to disrupt his MVP odds. Despite it's funny, we were doing the live show and I was giving Tim so much heat on all of his absurd takes. He was basically right on all of them, which is kind of funny. But when like he nailed James White. Uh, he nailed the, like, one of his props was under Lamar Jackson, 204 yards. He said that Laird would have a good game, although he had said that the week before as well. And then, yeah, obviously, Bellage ended up getting hurt, and Laird did have a good game. But when, at, when, when prying, like, why do you think any of this stuff? He had no answer, so I just chose not to believe him. But he was right. Yeah, it, it, just, it just ended up happening. It was something to it, maybe. So, wait, was it just Lamar total yardage? Is that what it was? No, it was Lamar passing yards. Oh, wow. Yeah, so you're not even halfway, what, halfway there, if that? 
Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a situation where I, I guess like looking at it, it, it makes sense that that would happen. I thought that you would get a little bit more out of obviously the wide receivers, but even the tight ends there, but yeah, it was just a game that was controlled just on the ground with Lamar's legs. And it just seems like every time they need a big play from him. And I thought it was pretty amazing that it was his first fumble of the season on all the attempts he's had, but anytime they need a big play, even on the play he fumbles on just a bootleg and he's beating everybody to the outside. It's just, it's a cheat code right now. So uh, to recap the Pat Mayo experience DraftKings listeners league, I mean, you kind of hit on what the optimum, not necessarily the optimal lineup, but what a lot of the winning lineups ended up looking like. Uh, and a lot of it has to do, like if you do game stack and uh, sometimes you need to have the other way back. Like one of the reasons that a lot of my golf lineups ended up not failing, but not like cashing super highly in a lot of these contests is because no one on Arizona did anything. So when you have Christian Kirk in your lineup and he's running into the pole, then that's not worth any fantasy points. The guy's just going to lay a dud in your lineup, at least with the Eagles game. If you got the right side of the Eagles game uh, and you pick that properly and whether you had Alshon, whether you had Sanders, whether you had Wentz, like all those guys ended up working, even if you use Goddard, like that didn't kill you at tight end. But if you went to the Miami side, I mean, the two logical people to play were going to be Parker or Gesicki and both those guys hit. So you almost need the perfect confluence of circumstances to hit on both sides of the ball. Like when I did the full stack, I brought it back with Godwin in one or Ronald Jones in one or Evans in one. Just none of those guys did anything. So those those lives were not only bad to begin with, they remained even shittier than you'd expect. Yeah, I thought like going into the week, there was just more or less so than most weeks, just spots to stack. It, it didn't scream out run back or stacking options like looking at Green Bay before some of the weather. But even there, just a second option for the Packers. You have Lazard getting there with a random 100 yard game, but it was just difficult. So I, I kind of went a little bit different this week. I still had four man game stacks, but I was experimenting in specific spots with just three man game stacks. So for instance, in that game uh, for the Packers, Rogers, Adams, run it back with Sterling Shepard, some of the pieces that make sense, not having as much correlation in the lineup, uh, but just not trying to force in players just to have for stack purposes. So yeah, like in the Eagles game, you had those options ending up going off. But if you have a spot where Jeffrey doesn't have that big of a game and it's just Sanders, that's kind of what I was trying to capture in some of these other spots that didn't seem as optimal. And it seemed to go okay. You just have things popping off like in that game, Almas are going for a hundred randomly. So the big thing was like, who did you end up using at tight end in a lot of these spots? Like I paid down for, I actually had a bunch of Caden Smith because he was 2,900 on a lot of those earlier lineups. Once I knew that Ingram was going to be out. And then once Golden Tate was declared out for the Giants, it was like, well, they got to throw to somebody. Uh, and that ended up working out. But like in the Pat Mayo experience open and in two of my three lineups in there, and I think eight of my 12 lineups overall, I just played Higby. Like did, did people overthink that one? Yeah, I had 100% Tyler Higby. I, I thought that, like early on, everybody was saying it on Twitter too, just Jack Doyle was still a great play. They were both they were both highly owned, and I just went to the one that was a little bit cheaper, and, and I figured that the upside was probably similar on both of them, nowhere near the upside that both of them really got to. But I just went to Hidley, punted the tight end. I had some uh, golf lineups for stacking reasons, but then he was just so easy to get in everywhere else and really like your build. So, yeah, I thought people either went to Doyle or, or Higby. It seemed like a pretty obvious punt week i mean getting up to kelsey at that price point uh, is really difficult when you have guys five thousand dollars cheaper with upside so let's play the thing that we do every single week on this show let's try to guess the winning lineup in the pat mayo experience open take a shot yeah so carson wentz with jeffrey and sanders yes that is correct <laughs> Devonte parker run it back yes that is correct let's go with hmm um, for tight end Higby, Higby is the tight end defense chiefs defense Redskins defense. 
Interesting. So they were, what were they? Uh, they were like 2000 bucks or something. Like the Chiefs were 20, yeah. 27, I think. So like, it's a pay down, pay down, Higby and Redskins, and then like spend on the rest, basically. So which means you have to have who at running back? Guys. Christian McCaffrey. Oh, okay. I thought you were trying to correlate there. So McCaffrey would about... No, no, it was a correlation of like pay down, pay down, so you can get up yeah. to McCaffrey. And McCaffrey I'm... ended up scoring... Or ended, McCaffrey ended up with 17 points. Like, he wasn't obviously in any sort of optimal lineup, but no one really used Geis, so it wasn't the end of the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, McCaffrey has like over 100 yards, and it's still just an abysmal performance from him, it seems. <laughs> You had what, Devontae Adams? Devontae Adams is in there. That means one spot, the flex spot, and this is really the move. Like, if you would use this guy, he was the cheat code of the week because no one really used him. 10% owned in my tournament, but I believe he was less in the larger tournaments. So he's 10% owned, you said. Was it Robert Woods? It was Robert Woods. That's the lineup. Wentz, McCaffrey, Sanders, Adams, Jeffrey, Parker, Woods, Higby, and Redskins D. Good for 5K, 232 points. Wow. Two hundred. Wait, 232 points? Yeah. That guy would have won the Millie Maker. Seriously? <laughs> yeah, 228.8 won the Millie. <laughs> That's rough. So, so sorry, Atlanta Falcons. That's Yeah, he won my contest by 12 points. The guy in second was 220. Oh, yeah, that's, that sucks. <laughs> by over three points, he would have won the Millie Maker. Wow. Oh, that's a rough go. Do you, you know 5,000, though. Uh, so someone is yeah he did get five thousand you can't you put in fifteen dollars for the week and you win five thousand you shouldn't be kicking yourself but ugh. but it's one of these things like i never like there was one week where i won i won a bunch in the three dollar but i didn't enter that lineup into my contest which you know sucks to be me because it's the three max entry i believe i played 10 but i didn't play any in the millionaire maker i think it would have come like fourth in the millionaire maker that week but i never kicked myself because i rarely play the millionaire maker to tell you the truth uh i just try to if i'm gonna spend like i take that 200 dollars that i would spend on my 10 lineups in the millionaire maker and i tend to play like a hundred dollar single entry a 75 dollar single entry or a 75 dollar three max i just find i'm more profitable in those contests so i just i just never play it so i never kick myself for not doing well or having a lineup that would have won a bunch of money had I played because I don't play it every week. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. And like, I haven't had a situation where that's that's cost me yet or, or even maybe just not realizing it. It just reminds me, I remember reading, I believe on the show before, Joe Holka had a similar concept where uh, he was like at one of the games and he ended up not putting a lineup that did very well into the Millie where he, I think he either finishes first or second. And like, since then, I just always have some sort of PTSD of not getting like my three main, I play a lot of three max lineups just into the Millie Maker every week. I, I know the upside and it's just terrible, but it's just a, a just building for three max isn't great for millie makers not out there as much in terms of like the just random plays but it, it seems like you just have to do it at least from my mindset now it all depends like if you have the bankroll to do it i would suggest that everyone do it because you have that million dollar yeah. upside but if you're actually trying to play to be profitable and retain your bankroll the millionaire maker is not the superior contest for you to be entering it should be those single entries the smaller field tournaments and the three max that's where you can have a bad week and obviously you don't get wiped out even if you don't cash any but when you do cash the payout structure tends to be a lot flatter in those contests so you make the most of your lineups that aren't number one yeah i agree and like some other things just watching like the millie maker all year this year it just seems like stacking obviously needed there but it, it seems so much so like all these weeks, like the plays that are winning it, like this lineup right here is, is very optimal in terms of like your Higbees, your all the chalk from the Philadelphia game and, and then just some obvious plays of wide receivers. So 
it seems like player pools can be pretty condensed. Like, so maybe even three maxes entering those types of lineups. Maybe it's more optimal than ever just because people know what to be doing in these lineups now or these contests now as opposed to three or five years ago. Uh, so let's continue to recap the week. Uh, anything else stick out? Do you think the Patriots, uh, the Patriots lost their center, which... I mean, getting Isaiah Wynn back, good news for the offensive line. Losing your center tends to go really poorly for a lot of teams because he's sort of like the quarterback of the offensive line. He's the one calling out all the defensive stunts, uh, getting your footwork proper, like midway through, like basically while the play clock is winding down, the center is pointing out what is happening on the defensive line and getting the offensive line to adjust the blocking coverages. So do you think, I don't want to say the Patriots are done because that is not what I'm saying. I still think that they should be the favorites to win the Super Bowl at this point, despite not clearly not having the best team, but you have to go with history with this stuff. And we write off the Patriots and Brady every single year. Once they go through like a three weeks when it's like, Oh, they look old. They're terrible. They still probably have the best defense in the league. Uh, It didn't really come through on Sunday night, but do you worry that they like, do you think the bills can catch them for one thing? Yeah, so I was looking at this for the playoff stuff this morning. I think I think the Bills' schedule to close out the year is just it's brutal. Um, they they end up having to face I, I think the Patriots. I have it right here. The Bills' schedule. I so I think long story short is no. The Bills have to face Ravens, Steelers, Patriots over their next three, and then they face the Jets to close it out. Like I think they'd be probably fortunate to get two wins in there. So well, I think this. I I do think that the swing game is really this week. Like Baltimore yeah. coming off what is basically been described as the biggest game. Like they went into. They went into Los Angeles. They beat Los Angeles. They're hosting the best team in football at home. They beat them. Uh, they don't cover the spread, but they end up beating them. And this week, it's funny, against the Bills, the Niners were six-point dogs going into Baltimore. Now, I guess the respect for Buffalo has cranked up a little bit. They're only five-point dogs in Baltimore. But let's say like Buffalo is not as good of a team as the Ravens. That doesn't mean a bad, a worse team can't beat a better team. We see it every single week. That Let's say the Bills win this game. I think it's live because they would have to beat the Patriots either way, right? Like, if they lose to the Patriots, they can't win the division. But if they win this game and they beat the Patriots, I think that they would win the division. Yeah, so, they yeah, they need two things. So that has to happen for them to win this game, and then they get as great of a matchup against in terms of them trying to take over the division, maybe even this week. Well, I guess tiebreaker, so not this week, but the Patriots going to have to face the Chiefs this week is just the toughest matchup left on the schedule because the Patriots close out the year with the Bengals, the Bills, and the Dolphins. So, yeah, the Patriots have to lose this week, and then that matchup, which would happen, I believe, second to last week, week 16. That's where you have to see the Bills just win the division outright. So I, I think you you have a really tough remaining schedule. I'll probably still say that they don't catch them, but I do think now the Bills are not officially locked into a wild card spot. But with the remaining schedule, I think they'll be able to pick up 10 or 11 wins and get in. Yeah, I think that they've basically solidified themselves as the five seed because, I mean, while, they're, while their schedule is tougher, to, I mean, they could lose all the next four games. They're still the Bills. <laughs> but uh, they, they're playing such a weird season. The defense shows up. Like, the defense went through a little swoon. It was very good to begin the year. Then it went, to a, went through a swoon where teams were just pounding them up the middle and they could not stop the run. But their offense has been good enough these past few weeks that they've been able to play with a little bit of a lead and basically unleash the, unleash the pass rush, which was basically devoid of being there the first few weeks of the season. They've been really good at getting to the quarterback and just causing a ruckus in the backfield. And maybe it's because Dallas lost some members of its offensive line. Buffalo was able to get through, or maybe they were just jacked up to be playing in the only big game they have all season. Although now they've been flexed the Steelers in week 15 into the Sunday night game, which is great for the bills. They've been, is it Sunday night game, Saturday night game? I don't know. They got flexed into one of these games. Anyway, they're playing primetime games now all of a sudden. Yeah, exactly. They're playing primetime. I mean, they look good on Thanksgiving. You saw like the end of it, just 
uh, like insane showboating on their end, like as if it was the Super Bowl. But they, I mean, they look fine. I think Singletary, when he came back, that kind of switched a little bit of the offense, not only just because of his explosiveness and being able to just break tackles, get first downs, but they got more creative around that time as well. You saw it a little bit in the Dallas game, some of the play calling there. So yeah, I think that there's a real chance they could honestly lose out. The next three games are really difficult and anything can happen week 17 versus the Jets. But I'd say they're, they're going to finish the year with probably 10 with the upside of around 11 wins, which should definitely solidify the five spot. That, that last spot, in the AFC right now that's six seed it can really go like four or five different ways depending on divisional seeding and honestly I'm not really too sure where it ends up but that's probably the the biggest open spot on both sides of the bracket for the playoffs well if anyone can get to 10 wins the spot is theirs uh the six seed at least in the AFC I, at least in my mind if you get to nine wins that's probably going to be a tiebreaker and then it depends on which teams are tied with the nine wins that it has to reshuffle itself out like what it is today is not what it's going to be in three weeks like Tennessee has seven wins and the Texans have eight wins but they play each other twice like if Tennessee sweeps Houston there's a chance that it could be Tennessee and Houston in the playoffs but if Houston sweeps Tennessee Tennessee's probably out yeah, exactly. And that's the way that it goes. And it sets up nicely for Tennessee that they do get to play Houston twice. The downside is they have to play the Saints in there as well, week 16. So I think right now that the Texans probably hold on to that spot. And if I had to guess, I would sit, still say that the Steelers probably hold on to this sixth spot. I think that, I mean, this is one of the things that stood out when you asked earlier, just how the Browns let this week get away from them. They were just set up to make the playoffs in terms of their remaining schedule. I think the Browns right now, I mean, they have to win out to have any chance, but they get the Cardinals and Bengals twice and they end up losing to the Duck Hodges there. So yeah, it, that was the one spot that stood out a lot. And then the Chargers ending obviously just stands out for probably everybody. Boy, you should pay people. If you haven't tuned into the spread pick show at all this year, I recommend that you tune in Wednesday morning to the spread pick show where Tim and Jeff are going to have to have a cry session over the Jets and Chargers and just embarrassing. Uh, the Jets were embarrassed on Sunday, losing to the winless Bengals, becoming the Sam Darnold, becoming the first quarterback of all time to lose to two separate zero and seven or worse teams, which I just find hilarious. And the Bork Chargers for Jeff, man, they. They, 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 I don't know if they got screwed because it probably wasn't pass interference, but it was just a very typical way for the Chargers to lose. Oh, yeah, it was it was just like people were saying they reinvented ways of, of losing at the end of the game. And no, nah, it was it was just something that like they, they throw what the, the, the Hail Mary type of play to Sutton. He ends up drawing or not to Sutton. He, they end up drawing the, the pass interference call there. Um, and yeah, it was just brutal. I, I was watching that and I was like, this is, everybody knew it was coming. It seemed like everybody knew it was coming and it just makes for perfect TV. It's like you're in tandem right now with the Chargers NFL season. It's like you are hosting here on your pick show, like the hard knocks version of what is the Chargers season. Uh, do you think the Colts are finished at this point or can they still rally and get back into it? Because I, I was talking with a friend who's a Colts fan yesterday. I was like, well, the Ravens just kind of go for it all the time on fourth down now. Do you think like the, the Colts would trade a first round pick for Justin Tucker at this point? <laughs> yeah, well, I, so no, but I think that, <laughs> so I think that a couple of things that you bring up with Tucker, a couple of points. So one yeah, the Ravens right now, John Harbaugh is like the guy using analytics the most. But what I thought was interesting was they had like a third and 12 to get closer on that field goal. And he didn't like try and pick up any yards. He just sent Tucker out there, ran the clock down, kicked like a 47 or whatever the 49 yard winning field goal. I thought that was odd. Like, I think you'd pick up two or three more yards. It just seems more of a chip shot, but it's just all the confidence in the world in Tucker not missing that. So that's one thing that stood out there. But then 
yeah, also on the Colts side, I think, yeah, they're going to get healthier on offense if you can get back T.Y. Hilton, maybe get a little bit of a run here. But their schedule is just rough, too. They also have to see the Saints. Um, and then it's just a bunch of teams that you don't consider good teams, but teams that aren't just walkovers like the Bucks, the Jags, the Panthers. So that's how their schedule ends up. I think that they're probably like an eight win team and they're just right there on the outside. If they can win, I mean, they could theoretically win three of those games. Then you get yourself to nine and six or nine and seven for the season. Like if thing, I, I don't know what their AFC like division record is. Cause if you beat those teams, you're beating three NFC teams, which doesn't help you at all during the tiebreakers, but maybe nine and seven is good enough. Who knows? Although they did lose to the Steelers, which would be bad. Yeah, it would be if it came down to any, like just head to head tie or even three way tie for the conference record. But yeah, like they're just like all these teams kind of seem like that. All these six and six teams in here, if if they win, they have like a couple of hard one hard matchup for most of them for both two of these teams. It's the Saints, but the Browns just seem like the team If they could have got by last week. The rest of their schedule compared to these other teams right on the outside looking in was just so much easier when you have the the one and 11 Bengals and then the Cardinals on the docket. So, yeah, I, I still think the Browns are live if they went out, but they would have to beat the Ravens again. They would have to beat the Ravens again, and they would need all the tiebreakers to fall into their favor. And they have a bunch because I think they beat mainly AFC teams so far. But it just seems, especially with Baker dinged up with his hand injury, it, it seems unlikely. Yeah, it, def- it definitely seems unlikely. I, I was, like, rooting for them. I almost placed just a, a playoff bet on them before last week after we did this show, and we discussed it a little bit, didn't. And, yeah, they just kind of let the season go away there with that loss. Well, it's it's funny as well, because we talked about coming into the season as it pertained to the Cleveland Browns that we wanted to go one of two ways where it would be awesome if they were awesome and they were like 13 and three. That'd be a great story. But it would also be hilarious if they were like two and 14 based on the team that they have. And they're probably going to end up eight and eight. Yeah, it's going to be just absolutely uneventful. And it wasn't even like there was a I guess there was one little span where they won, what, two games in a row right after the two weeks ago against the Steelers incident where there was like some hope, but just the way how brutal they started off the season. And it's just inexcusable to have Odell going for another like 30 yard game or less and not being able to get him into this offense. I think he has 100 yard game this season against the Jets or maybe two um, this season, but hasn't had one in the longest stretch of his career. I think six games now. So if we like move over to the NFC, that's basically written in stone what's going to happen outside of a few spots. Like the Packers and Vikings are both likely to make the playoffs, but they have a game against each other coming up, and whoever wins probably wins the division. That's assuming that, I guess, Minnesota would have to beat the Seahawks tonight on Monday Night Football, and I think they can do it, actually. But odds would say that uh, they wouldn't because they never beat good teams outdoors on the road. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and when it comes down to it, these six teams seem to be in place. I don't know if the Rams can make a move and get in there. They need some help in front of them, starting with the Seahawks winning tonight against the Vikings. So that's probably the best avenue for the Rams to get in, just the Vikings not making it. The Packers I, have to get Yeah, it's the Vikings. Because I was going to say, yeah, if the Seahawks lose, then they could potentially still catch the Seahawks. But it is the Vikings. If the Vikings lose, then you're a game behind the Vikings. The Vikings have to play the Packers again. But I think the Rams have to play the Seahawks and 49ers again, don't they? Yeah, they have a brutal schedule. They have the Seahawks, Cowboys, and, and 49ers the next three weeks. So it, if they lose one of those games, it's probably over for them. But, yeah, the Packers, they end up getting a little bit lucky with the Redskins, the Bears, the Lions with maybe no Matt Stafford, it seems like, to close the year. And then that game in Week 16 versus the Vikings. So it very much seems like these six teams are in stone. It's going to come down to Week 16 with the Vikings in, uh, and the um, Packers there. Honestly, the Packers can just get two Vikings losses, and that one can happen tonight and they end up getting in, but it seems very much set in stone that everything else is set. The only thing would be, right now, this, this NFC East is, is disgusting. Like, the Eagles at 5-7 and seven are only a game out of first place. Yeah, th- that's the one that's that basically the toss-up. They play each other again, too. That if, if Can the Cowboys beat a good team? 
No, it doesn't seem like they can. And, and like all the Eagles have left is all divisional opponents. So as long as they they control their own fate, they have just terrible matches against the Giants twice. Like it sets out perfectly for the Eagles right now. The Redskins, Giants twice, and then the Week 16 matchup versus the Cowboys. That's what it seems like it's going to come down to. So a five and seven team, which if you're in the AFC right now, you're like the Browns and you're completely out of it. They very much control their own destiny and they have just the easiest schedule to close out the year. Imagine losing to Miami yet still winning your division. Yep, it's in, it's insane. And what did they say yesterday? Uh, Washington, Miami, and Cincy all won. Nuts. <laughs> hey, well, I guess, uh, yeah, they did win too. Th- that means that the Giants are now like the number two seed, the number two pick. Yeah, the Giants have what two wins? Two wins. Yeah, like they're still yeah. in competition for the number one overall pick here. If if Dalton starts heating up. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that makes no sense to me either. Like the whole conundrum around Dalton just getting benched. All right, whatever you want to see what you have in the guy behind him. And now you're just in line for a first overall pick and you randomly put the guy back in. It's just so odd. I guess you have to because Finley was just atrocious. Well, I, I think it worked. I, th- I don't think that anyone wants to go 0 16. Like that, that's a yeah. real d- deflating thing to have on your franchise. I guess the Lions overcame it. They, they kind of propelled out of it a few years later once Stafford came back they built their roster they made the playoffs a few times we go 0-16 like no one wants to play for that team anyone who's currently on that team probably never wants to play for that team ever again so you have this two-game lead after the Jets won or the Jets win and the Dolphins win so everyone's at at least two wins besides you so you put Dalton back in for a game you know you can win against another crappy team get your win get out of dodge like it'd be kind of funny if all of a sudden Andy Dalton had a mysterious illness that kept him out for the rest of the season now yeah exactly almost like AJ Green but I I almost think I wonder if there's like when you're going 0-16 towards the end of the year like if they were to lose that game and you have a month left if your revenue starts to, you're such a bad team already. Like, can your revenue go that much more down, or is it fans like coming to the game to hope they're seeing the game that you actually win that season? Or maybe you just go on 16 in that last game is just a moneymaker because it's part of history. I almost wonder what that looks like. Like, if you were to look into what the lines were like, because you can get the two sides of it. You could be just a historically bad team and then still get the first overall pick, and maybe it doesn't hit you that hard. Uh, the only other team that's like, so the Cowboys and Eagles are both live in the NFC. East. I guess technically the Redskins are too if they won out and they could somehow sneak in at seven and nine, but that would be probably a point zero 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 one chance. I don't even know if it's possible at this point. It would probably require the Cowboys and Eagles to tie or something. So let's let's cross them off. So you have the Cowboys yeah. and Eagles for one spot. The Packers, the Vikings aren't necessarily solidified in because technically the Bears could win out despite having a ridiculously difficult schedule to end the year. They go Cowboys, Packers, Chiefs, Vikings. But if they just randomly won those four games, they'd be in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, they'd be in the playoffs. And I mean, they would have at that point a a realistic shot at, I mean, if things get wonky, maybe they even take the division over depending on what the Packers do those last couple of games. They have to play the Packers and the Vikings. Or yeah, they have to play the Packers and the Vikings, I believe. Hmm. Do you think Minnesota can win this? Like, if Minnesota wins tonight against Seattle, let's say that happens, do you think they end up winning the division? Because I don't find, like, I can't make sense of the Packers whatsoever. Like, they look, they didn't even look particularly great against the Giants, and they beat the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah, it ended up, I think it was just, like, a one-score game going into the fourth quarter, and then they took over there. They were kind of sleepwalking through it in the snow, whatever it was, but... Yeah, I, I don't really think Minnesota can win it. Well, they, they obviously can win it. Do I think they will? No. So here's the thing. Like, if they go into that Week 16 game, it's in prime time. It just sets up every single year like this, whether it's Matthew Stafford in prime time to end the year against the Packers to win the division, 
You take Aaron Rodgers in that game on your Monday night football game against Kirk Cousins, and you just see what happens after that. I just don't see the Vikings being able to win that one. Um, and yeah, it sets up as a team that the Packers just don't play up to competition. They've gotten steamrolled over when they go to the West Coast. I don't think they're anywhere near as good as the 49ers. So if they face them in the postseason, anything can happen. But it, with teams like the Vikings, I think they can handle them, especially in prime time. Just to remind everyone out there watching to smash the like button for the episode, leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section, and tell me your three favorite defenses. One for for just the entire class, for weeks 14, 15, and 16. doesn't need to be one for 14, one for 15, one for 16. You can do it that way if you want to. For your three best pickups at defense, leave that in the comment section, not the live chat, the comment section of this video, and you'll be in a draw for 20 DK bucks. If you want to get into a draw for 60 DK dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience Audio podcast download the episodes leave a five-star review DraftKings handle and something you like about the show we're trying to get to 15 million downloads for the year which would be a lot frankly um and i would like to do that so with your help and downloading episodes like three times or something like that then deleting them then downloading them again could really go a long way into helping or subscribing unsubscribing and resubscribing to the podcast all different tricks that you can do to help out the show so i would highly appreciate that it would help out the pat mayo experience more than you could possibly ever know let's talk about waiver wire heading in to week 14 not much has really changed so the overall injury report on things right now uh daryl williams is probably the most substantial injury like balage hurt his leg if he misses time i guess you could pick him patrick Lair, but we'll get to that in a sec uh damian williams we don't know if he's going to be back yet it looks like daryl williams for kansas city is going to miss at least next week with this hamstring problem people thought it was a knee but it was reported as a hamstring marlon mack expects to be back next week with that hand fracture jordan howard and james connor who knows? They could be up for the year. They could be back next week. You'll have to wait on the injury report for that. So these are the guys that I have at running back this week in the power ranks. I got Geis, Darwin Thompson, Jamal Williams, Bo Scarborough, and Patrick Laird. Raheem Mostart is a bit lower on that list because Matt Breda, uh, who is on the injury report as well, he missed the week. But once he comes back, like Mostart ended up playing like a ludicrous amount of snaps compared to like his season baseline. I don't think that means it's a shift in what happens with him moving forward. I think he was running well. He was a bit more of a mismatch for the Ravens defense than Tevin Coleman was. He was the hot hand. He got all the work. But if he went back to touching the ball four times next week with Breda back, that's also not going to shock me. So I don't know how much faith you can have in him as a pickup if you have to use him in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, I think the guy's a lot of upside. And in that game specifically, Coleman all year long hasn't been really breaking off any huge plays. And they weren't getting anything going in the passing game outside of Debo Samuel's touchdown. But he, he was providing big plays and sparks, so they continued to give him the ball. I think he had 14 carries. But yeah, you'll see what happens with Breida there. I think uh, stealing your move, I think that we'll, we'll talk about the handcuffs in a second, but Alexander Madison just being able to pick him up tonight if anything was to go wrong oh, going yeah. into the playoffs with a top five or top ten running back if anything was to happen to Cook right into the playoffs, not having to worry about waivers. I'm a little bit skeptical on Geis. I mean, he had a 60-yard run was most of his production. Did get the 10 carries, but you saw Chris Thompson playing a third of the snaps, AP still. And there's this sort of dilemma where, okay, AP, just let him not play anymore. Let's see what we have from Geis. But then I also think on the other hand, and it's the end of the year, he's coming off of an injury. He looks explosive, but it's still some severe injuries, three times removed from it, that you don't want to give him too much of a load. And that's what it seems like. So at this point, yeah, he's one of the guys at the top of this list. I probably want to pick up the most Jamal Williams he'll get Washington next week has some favorable playoff matchups and still involved but I think those guys at the top nothing else really stands out Lard like you said 10 carries since Balaj left but you're at a point now where you're looking at handcuffs and anything that pops off uh, is somewhat worth mentioning Uh, handcuffs for sure 
So again, as Sal pointed out, you can always use the trick where players who have not played yet during the week in some leagues have not cleared waivers. They're still technically free agents. So Alexander Madison and Rashad Penny, for that matter. Uh, If you have two people at the back end of your roster that you didn't play this week that you don't feel that you need to have on your teams moving forward, uh, I would just go pick up those two guys. And if anything happens to Cook or Carson, then all of a sudden you have yourself a starter in the fantasy playoffs. And it works twofold as well because then your opponent's can't pick these guys up and use them potentially against you so even if you have a bye week next week and you've clinched that bye for week 14 in your fantasy playoffs you still need to be gaming the system a little bit to make sure that teams can't build up a good squad against you if you have to eventually play them that's one of the biggest things that you can do in the fantasy playoffs that and like there's no need to have a wide receiver five anymore there's no need to have a backup quarterback unless you plan on playing them sometime in the fantasy playoffs lose all these guys pick up handcuffs pick up defenses that is the move like if you have a good defense for week four 14, but that defense has a bad matchup in week 15 go look at week 15 and go pick up the best available defense for that week like you need to be planning it now like this is a three-week season you're almost not necessarily doing a redraft you have the team that got you there but with all these available free agents like you need a starting lineup you don't need a bench anymore like you want to keep your handcuffs obviously but the more handcuffs that you can have the better that's always going to work out for you so even going back to it like if you had to play guys this week looking at it Like, Darwin Thompson's interesting because if Damian Williams ends up playing and Daryl Williams sits, I still think Thompson's behind Damian Williams on the depth chart. But I put him at number two because if both those guys sit, I do think he's kind of viable, especially against the Patriots being like a scat-back speed guy. Yeah, it's tough to want to start in anything, maybe the 12-man or or deeper, but a lot of his – all of his work really coming at the end of that game in in more of a garbage time. But if you have McCoy active, I still think he'll be the lead guy, and then you kind of have the Daryl Williams role just going over to Darwin Thompson, who's more of just an on-the-ground running back. So the upside there is probably, what, 12 carries if if he gets to that point. So he's definitely interesting at this point in the year. I'd rather have Darwin Thompson in that situation than Darius Geis in this three-headed monster of a backfield that Washington has, especially since they're going to be going and playing Green Bay this week and probably trailing by two scores for most of that game. Yeah, but it doesn't matter how much they're losing by it. They are committed to running. Yeah, they're committed to running ever since they made the coaching change. Uh, the only issue there is committed to running with like now Chris Thompson being back, potentially three guys. I think like a 10 to 12 carry is probably the upside for guys. But that's the thing. You're kind of just betting on it at this point. Do you think they continue to let him get more work and see more snaps? It hasn't happened yet. Or do they just say this is what we want to keep him at? So we kind of don't give him too much and risk uh, another injury, a fourth injury to this knee of his. So even though they beat Carolina in week 13, the snap share shook down, like Chris Thompson, 36% of the snaps, Adrian Peterson, 30% of the snaps, and Darius Geis, 30, or th- sorry, 36 for Thompson, 36 for Peterson, 30 for Geis. He actually played the least of the three running backs, but every time he was on the field, essentially they gave him the ball. So that's always a good thing. Like, I guess the, the biggest comp you could make here is, like, would you – and maybe I should shake this up. I don't know. Like, would you rather have Geis or Bo Scarborough? Because they're both in similar situations. I think I'd rather have Bo Scarborough. Uh, at I, this point, I just feel... Yeah. I was, I was going to say, Geis at least has the potential to get a target in the passing game. Scarborough does not. <laughs> yeah, Scarborough, especially just his skill set and what's behind him. I think from Scarborough in... So let me, let me just see what you're getting out of their schedule for Detroit in the playoffs. So Scarborough is going to have to go up and see Minnesota, Tampa, and Denver. So honestly, I might take that back. That's a brutal match. That might be the worst playoff schedule going to minnesota a home against tampa going to denver two of the top two top run defense two top five run defense so all all three of those are top five run defenses so 
I'll probably take Geis, but that's just from having to choose one. If there's like anything else on the table, I'd probably go there. But yes, yeah, Scarborough, no upside in the passing game. And looking at that matchup, all three of these, you're probably looking at a 12 to 15 carry game where the only upside he'll probably bring to the table is, is betting on touchdowns. And you could do that with a handful of guys like the Benny Snells of the world. Yeah, but if James Conner comes back, then how useful is Benny Snell actually going to be, considering Jalen Samuels outsnapped him yesterday? Like, a lot of these guys are, like, there's no lock and load guy that you can go pick up. And frankly, if your team, like, I have a team that's going to make the playoffs that has, like, a bit, my running backs are Tevin Coleman, James Conner, who's been hurt, and Jalen Samuels. Like, I might have to roll the dice on someone. Like, I don't want to... I don't want to pick up Darwin Thompson and play him, especially against the Patriots. Uh, but if it's just him and McCoy, I could see him getting the work. But like I mentioned, if Damian Williams is active, like what do you, what would you expect his snap share to be? If Damian Williams is active, would you say, if I set the over under at 35% of the chief snaps next week, would you take the over or under? I would take the under. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. I think, I think he'd probably come in somewhere. Like, I, I don't think he was, he wasn't going to get much work at all in that game. If the injury doesn't happen, even with just Damian Williams already being out. So he did good. And it was a lot in garbage time, but, and I mean, it was like seven, eight yard runs. So I think that he probably sees somewhere around 20% of the carries or 20% of the snaps, uh, maybe like 10, 15% of the workload. I think like another guy who does not possess really much upside in look, the Denver Broncos, just their 16 or week 15 and 16 schedule for running backs it just comes great in terms of matchups. Now, Lindsay's probably not available, but Freeman, another guy to throw into that uh, just handcuff category, similar to Jamal Williams, since he plays a lot of snaps and has upside, but he'll get the Chiefs or he'll get the Chiefs in week 16 or 15. And then he gets the Lions in championship week, which are two of the uh, better teams to run on, although the Lions have been improving. Uh, and Royce Freeman did play over 50% of the snaps against the Chargers, and that was with them up in that game. As it directly correlated, Philip Lindsay ended up with 17 carries, and Royce Freeman was just like a mannequin on the field. He had five carries in the game for 11 yards. He did pick up four catches in the passing game, only for 13, but that was somewhat interesting that he was on the field so much with Drew Locke against Philip Lindsay, but every time Philip Lindsay was on, almost like Geist, they gave him the ball. Yeah, it's odd. We saw the same thing happen last week where it was like Lindsay had 13 carries to Freeman's two carries and they played right around a 50-50 split. And that's now three weeks removed since they said that Lindsay was going to be more of their featured back, quote unquote. He's not on the field like that, but he's definitely getting the workload, like you said, in that capacity. So uh, it, it's once again, similar to the Dalvin Cooks and all these other handcuffs, very similar to Jamal Williams, where you'll have just an upside back who will be on the field a lot, probably see somewhere around eight to 10 touches in the game. And if anything happens to Lindsay, you're getting a really nice nice playoff schedule for a guy who should play 60 to 80% of the snaps. Is there a chance Patrick Laird is a viable pickup? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think so. Now, what, what you're getting here is just you're hoping that you get to with Patrick Laird on your team through this week. So like this week against the Jets at, at the Jets, I don't want that at all. But then he gets the Giants and then in championship weeks, he gets the Bengals. So I think what you're getting, you saw 10 carries from him. He's involved in the passing game. He has been for like the past month since they activated him. I think you're looking at if Kalen Blige is to miss with this leg injury, probably 12 to 15 touches for this guy. Gaskin should. I don't, I don't know what is with Gaskin. He just must be terrible in practice because this is a guy in the preseason will look good and he can't even get ahead of Patrick Laird or even get touches when Kalen Blige, which is like a, a slow moving dumpster on the field. It's just, it's crazy. So I think Laird, yeah, you probably see 12 to 15 touches and against teams like the Bengals and Giants, I think there's some upside there. And at that point, you're really needing it. So yeah, I think he's viable. Yeah, I, I think Laird falls into, let's say, a rich man's Chris Thompson, a poor man's James White, that kind of player. 
Because, like, he's going to be involved like, against the Jets, although the Jets have a really good run defense. I wouldn't be too concerned. Like, against the Eagles, 10 carries, 5 yards. But he got the goal line touches, which is really all you can ask for if you get that opportunity to score the touchdown. That's fantastic news. Really, what you're banking on him is if he can put up, like, a 5 for 55 type game out of the backfield, which he's going to see targets out of the backfield. That's just, and if he's going to play 80% of the snaps, like the shakedown yesterday, Belage played 15%. It was almost all, always Belage before he got injured injured but after that it ended up being layered 60 percent gaskin 22 so even if it's like a 70 30 split he's gonna have ample opportunity to catch passes yeah is he is he the poor man's or is it is it even poor is it a slight discount a a black friday sale on on rex burkhead is this what like laird might be i think you you might get i don't know it's a spot that i think he sees the majority of the snaps in this team they're miami they should be trailing they're gonna get the jets so maybe not but you're going to have Fitzpatrick wanting to throw nonstop. So if anything, like his upside in the receiving game will be there. And then if they resort to the ground game, he might see 12 carries. So yeah, I think that he's viable. Um, and maybe he comps out like you, like you were saying in between, maybe something like a, a Rex Burkhead with his pass catching role. Yeah. It's a lot like when remember, uh, was it at the beginning of last year when guys got hurt and before they signed Adrian Peterson, it was just Chris Thompson in the backfield and he was playing like 60% of the snaps and he'd get like nine carries for 27 yards and eight catches for 57 yards. Like if Laird's going to be playing 70% of the snaps, I can see something like that. Potentially he could also just be God awful. Yeah. It's still Miami's offense, but it's, it's looking better and improved lately. And, and when you're looking at this for the playoffs, like we said earlier, I think the biggest thing here is there are question marks. Like it's not a, just, no, he's going to be terrible. We don't want to touch him. Like, no, there's an upside with these matchups and him being just a body in this backfield and can show that he can catch the ball at the very least. You, like you said, drop your fifth string wide receiver, pick this guy up. So you don't have to face Laird in week 16 when he goes for 16 fantasy points. Yeah. Oh my God. Patrick Laird. Who would have thunk wide receivers? This week, nothing has really changed all that much in terms of pickups. For injuries, Trey Quinn has a concussion. Chester Rogers left with a knee issue. T.Y. Hilton obviously didn't play. He should be back next week. Thielen's going to miss Monday night. You'd think he'd be back next week. Juju could be back next week. He passed concussion protocol, but he has a knee injury now. Hunter Renfro, Paul Richardson, Golden Tate, Julio. We don't know their status moving forward. We're just going to have to continue to check in. In terms of pickups, I have Debo, Anthony Miller, Darius Slayton, Cole Beasley, James Washington. Uh, Auden Tate and Russell Gage fall right below that, but honestly, you're probably not starting any of these guys in your playoffs. <laughs> Maybe yeah, Samuel. Probably- yeah, maybe Samuel. I, I think that if you still get T.Y. hurt, Pascal, I mean, next week he gets just a great – Honest, e- either way, even if T.Y. is healthy, we've seen Pascal have at least one good game this year and the other game where T.Y. was healthy, and he's been playing snaps. He played 100% of the snaps last week, so that's probably more so you feel confident if there's no T.Y. He'll get Tampa Bay, so that stands out. With Golden Tate likely to return off of a concussion, Slayton's a little bit tougher to want to get to, but a really good playoff matchup and or schedule for all these Giants receivers, so Slayton's probably the one available against Philly, Miami – Washington nothing else really stands out all that much I probably wouldn't get um, fooled by Alan Lazard's three target three catch 100 yard day for a touchdown even in a good matchup against Washington coming up yeah for me right now I have uh, Pascal if you have no if you have no T.Y. Anthony Miller um, guys like Didi Auden Tate uh, Robbie Anderson and, and James Washington Washington at the top of that against Arizona seems really nice yeah that's that's about what I can figure out here hopefully you have better receivers than this yes yes Oh, I mean, Devontae Parker finally went above 60% ownership this week. That's nice. Yeah, I was, I was waiting for you. Once you didn't say his name, I, I figured that that's what was happening. But, yeah, we sat here last week. and I mean, We've sat, said we sat here for the past six weeks, and he's been the number one pickup for the past six weeks, and people it, weren't it, picking him up. 
Yeah, is he has he cracked like is he top ten? Like I know he was top twenty last week. Is he like a top what is he twelfth ranked wide receiver right now? In he, he might be. Like I was looking at I do this league with the Osimo guys, actually, their charity league. And I released my draft uh before the season and people just basically laughed at my team. But I'm in first place, so who's laughing now? Uh because I have Josh Allen as my quarterback. I you know, I, I reached on Michael Thomas and Travis Kelsey, and I talked about this with Jake that I basically have Chris Carson and Josh Jacobs as my running backs on every single team. And most weeks that really works out. Out. but I, it was basically just two big pickups that i made throughout the course of the season that really swung everything for me i picked up dj chark after week one and i picked up Devonte parker after like week whatever like the first week was whenever like he started to do well i ended up picking yeah. him up and just i've rode him ever since and like they've been the linchpins to me being good in this league yeah right now right now he sets as um wide receiver 19 on the site that i'm looking at right now uh through 12 games he's literally He's right next to Julio, who obviously missed a game. Right next to Julio, John Brown, Cortland Sutton, those names. And it's funny because he really did nothing for the first like four or five weeks of the year. Yeah, he's. I mean, this is just crazy because this was the guy that Adam Gaze was just keeping in the doghouse for whatever reason, as everybody was saying during that time, play Kenyon Drake, play Devontae Parker. These guys have skill. And there was like one night where he played Devontae Parker last year on Thursday night football, and Parker goes for like 130 yards in the game. Uh, and then since then, he's just been a lot more improved and being utilized in this offense properly. I mean, even with Preston Williams going down and him being the obvious number one to garner a ton of people's attention and number one cornerbacks, he's still he's been producing better. Uh, I do want to remind everyone out there, smash that like button if you're out there. You can get in the draw for 20 DK bucks by listing your three favorite defenses to pick up in the fantasy playoffs in the comment section. After the show has come to its live conclusion, if you hit the description of the podcast or video, you can find all the running back snap counts. You can find the waiver wire pickup power rankings and the link to the audio podcast that will be in there. But if you just go to DKPlaybook.com right now, you can find all of that stuff. It's all up there. I guess not the audio podcast because we're still doing the show but the snaps and the pickups are all up on dk playbook if you're actually looking for the actual list that we're talking about right now tight ends greg olson goes down Najoku hasn't come back evan ingram austin hooper who knows red ellison i don't even know what's going on with him at this point i would assume one of those two comes back for next week so caden smith we hardly knew you thank you for the two nice weeks but i have jack doyle still number one you know he's owned in only like 41 percent of leagues Wow. Yeah. I think just like in season long leagues at this point for people that are paying attention, tight ends, probably the position they pay the least attention to at all. And just Jack Doyle's name is never flashy, but yeah, people know now after this week and in the DFS community, it just seemed like obvious if you were playing in season long, he probably wasn't going to be on your waivers because you knew, you knew about him at the very least. Yeah. So I go Doyle, Ryan Griffin, still Jacob Hollister, Mike Kosicki, Darren Fells. I have Tyler Higby in this spot right now. And that's only if Everett's out, if Everett comes back this week, then don't play Tyler Higby. Uh, thank you for sitting out against Arizona, Gerald Everett. We all appreciate it. Allowing Tyler Higby to score all the fantasy points, but you can go back to your regularly scheduled doing nothing. Noah Fant, Vance McDonald gets the Arizona Cardinals this week, Sal. I assume he's going to be chalky. They have priced him up on DraftKings for the week. I think the people are, he's going to be a popular streamer. But I don't know if you can use the flow chart for Vance McDonald. He's not very good. Yeah, he's not very good. I mean, like production-wise, he's he's still running like 30 routes per week. On, on like DFS, yeah, if he gets owned, it, it could be a, a fine just pivot away spot. But if Juju remains out, that's obviously a bump for him. Connor remains out. It might not be a bump for him, depending on how Jalen Samuels continues to be used. But yeah, gets Arizona in week 14 for a one-week pickup. I think he's fine if that's what you're needing for the week. I think another guy, I don't know what his ownership's at in terms of season long. Uh, is TJ Hawkinson below the threshold? 
No, he's not at the moment. People like rush to go pick him up. Why? Do you, yeah. You, do you have any faith? He had like one good week this year. Yeah, he had one good week. I think the main thing looking at there is just depending on what happens. I mean, I think Blau or whatever his name is is going to continue to play. We'll see, but um, it does not seem like Stafford's coming back anytime soon. You saw 11 targets on that Thanksgiving game. I mean, six catches for 18 yards is abysmal, but the opportunity is the thing that I was looking at the most. And it seemed on every single play that there was any sort of pressure. He was just checking it off to uh, TJ Hawkinson. So if you're going to give me like five receptions out of a tight end most weeks, I'll just take that over whatever else I'm going to have to bet on. I mean, that's that's perfectly fair. I'll put Caden Smith. If Ellison and Ingram sit again this week, would you rather play Caden Smith or Vance McDonald? In season long, I'd probably play – I would rather play Vance McDonald. The, the thing with Caden Smith was, yeah, very sneaky last week because the Packers, like Arizona is, seems to be the flow chart because teams just – like the tight ends are scoring touchdowns against them. The Packers have just – and it's bad tight ends. Like the Packers are right there in terms of how bad they've been against tight ends, and Caden Smith goes for a, a really nice performance by his standards without a doubt. So I think one of those guys is probably going to play, but I'd still probably play McDonald over him. I think I'd play Smith just because, uh, I mean, Philly just gave up a giant game to Mike Kosicki as well. He seems to be the check, like you talked about Hawkinson being the Blau check down. It does seem like Smith, with the absence of a lot of these slot guys, Caden Smith has become his go-to check down and up the seams type player. Yeah, I think that's true. I think also you mentioned a big piece of that will be if Golden, like if Golden Tate comes back, that, that's a really big bump down for any of Smith's upside. And, and honestly, even if Ellison comes back, him too. It's true. Who does Carolina play this week? Carolina this week. I have it right here on the schedule sheet. It's Atlanta. They play Atlanta. Yeah. yeah you could, get Atlanta. could you play Ian Thomas if Olsen sits or just nah? Yeah. So uh, last year, Ian Thomas, when he was in for Olsen, that couple of weeks where Olsen was out, it took him like a couple of weeks. It was a different quarterback in Cam Newton, somewhat similar system now, but um, it, w- it took him a couple of weeks to really get going, but he did have a couple of big games there. So just the amount of other value that's on sort of a slate or even in your, your season long leagues and probably stay away from it. But he's definitely viable. Like, I would say he's going to run somewhere around 25 routes if there's no Olsen. Olsen was just running a ton of routes in this offense. Like, he was, he's been top three in the league over the last six weeks of the season running routes. So, if they put Ian Thomas into anything like that role, and when he came in, he played like 43% of the snaps and a lot of the Olsen routes. So, yeah, I think that he's sort of sneaky value there. He's just going to be, if I had to guess, filling in right in for Greg Olsen. And Kyle Allen has looked that way often. Tight end, or sorry, quarterback streams for week 14 if you're in dire straits. I have Jacoby Brissett, number one, against Tampa Bay. Hopefully this is a rebound week for passing against Tampa Bay, but this is only if T.Y. Hilton plays. If Hilton doesn't play, I don't think I can play him. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, Brissett versus Tampa Bay. I have I have him right now um, third, but depending on what these thresholds are, uh, right now I have Daniel Jones and then Cousins and Baker all in that same area. Really? Really? The Giants are playing who? They're playing the Giants. The Giants get Philly, and then so so this was contingent upon just trying to find a starter for a few weeks in playoffs. So they get Philly this week, who had been looking good, then looked really bad against Fitzpatrick, and then they get to face Miami in the fantasy championship. If for some reason you need a quarterback, I would look the other way on that. So the top three that I have this week, I have Brissett at Tampa, Tannehill at Oakland, and then Ryan Fitzpatrick at the Jets. So technically, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I would rather play over Daniel Jones because if they get the Jets and the Giants. Uh, in two of their last three games like he's going to be a starter in two of those games yeah I think that's fair uh I think I think I still probably take Jones there um in those two games I think that well I guess so for me it'll depend similar to what we were talking about with Brissett if Golden Tate comes back I'll take Jones there 
I, I mean, I bet you on that. Fitzpatrick, the Fitz magic. He's he's got a. Re- the thing is, he has revenge games against everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I would I would take that bet. I think if if Golden Tate comes back, I'll feel good with Jones for what just this week or the whole playoffs. Uh, I would say those. T- I, who, does Miami play like the Patriots next week or something, or is that Week Seventeen? Yeah, I don't even know who either. I, I, I'll pull up who each of them play. So the Giants in Week. Um, well, it doesn't even say on this site. It literally just says Giants eliminated, so you don't even get to see their schedule. <laughs> so, for the, but, the okay, so Miami has the Jets, Giants, and Bengals the next three weeks. I'll take Fitzpatrick. He's actually like a legit pickup. I'm going to move him to number one in the pickup. Yeah, he's got, he's got, he's got the Bengals too. I'll, I'll take, the, I'll take the bet. I don't even know who the Giants play. Who do they play the week after this week? Uh, probably the Skins. I'm guessing. All right, Skin, yeah, I'll take Skin, that. Skins or Cowboys, one of the two. I'll take that. Yeah, that's fine. All right, where's where's stupid dad? Let's see the stupid Giants. Where are you at? Giants. The Giants play. When now they're not showing me the fucking schedule. Jesus Christ, it's terrible, terrible, Sal. I hate this site that I'm using. Eagles, Dolphins, Skins. The next three weeks. I'll take that. Yeah, I, I like that. Hey, we'll so trust in we'll trust in Daniel Jones. He'll he'll probably average two fumbles, but we can maybe make up for it elsewhere. Hey, as we've learned with Jameis, that's not the end of the world. Of course, yeah. That's 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 the that's the sweet spot. You, you just want those fumbles returned for touchdowns, so he immediately gets the ball back. Yes, exactly. That that that's the Jameis special. Throwing pick sixes just to pad the other team's stats a little bit, so you can just come out and huck it against prevent defenses. But yeah, Fitz versus Jones. Those those are probably the two pickups then. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. Interestingly enough, <laughs> there we go. It's exciting. We'll see. We'll see what happens with both of those guys. I. It's it's the it's old reliable Fitz versus the Rook. And Fitz has a high degree. Uh, well, it's funny. If you look at Daniel Jones's stats for the season, he's been much better on the road than at home. His only bad road game fantasy-wise has been at the Patriots. Yeah, and that makes sense. And uh, that, that week they were just like his best player on offense was, I think, like Cody Lattimore that week. It was everybody was out. So, yeah, I have confidence in him. He just has spike weeks. Like he'll go out there and produce nothing or he'll have like a 28-point performance. And these matchups seem nice for him defensive streams for this week only i got dallas at chicago philly at home against the giants minnesota at home against detroit atlanta at carolina green bay at home against washington carolina at atlanta the issue with the packers defense is that washington is just going to run the ball and when teams run the ball against you uh, it's really hard to churn out fantasy points yeah, they'll try and take possessions away overall. Keep Rod- like the stereotypical thing. Keep Rodgers off the field. I still, I still like the Packers this week, and, and really for the week after against Mitch Trubisky, look good has looked better as of late. But um, so what you're going to get here is that if you think Vegas is right and the Packers stay ahead, and Washington does just want to run the ball, but you're going to have to have Haskins throw the ball 25 times, even if they're only even if they're down like by seven, he's going to throw somewhere around 25 times. That's what he's been throwing in against his pass rush. I just feel good about him making at least three mistakes during that time, if not just getting pressure. So yeah, the issue there is similar to whenever you face the Ravens, just Lamar is not turning the ball over. Whereas when Haskins is forced to throw, he's just clearly overthrowing and that's going to lead to a lot of uh, just turnovers and then potentially pick sixes. He is, but they're not asking him to throw even in situations when they're losing. They're just like, you know what? We're going to lose anyway. Let's just keep running. Yeah, exactly. Like he's throwing like 24, 25 times a game. So at that point, I guess the upside for you there is if he's going to drop back 26 to 28, like let's just say 24 times in this game, I think that Packers pressure can probably get there against this offensive line, maybe like a third of the time. Yeah, I would still just rather take a defense going up against someone, even if they're better throwing 45 times a game. 
Yeah, that's like that's the extremes of it. You you either take the like the low scoring affair, or instead of hiding in the middle ground, you take the one that there's going to be 40 pass attempts. So even though there might be a lot of yards and points put up, it's just more opportunities for something like a pick six or something wonky to happen. Yeah, and as we've seen, like unless defenses are actually let's let's take like pick sixes or like touchdowns out of it. If we're just looking at sacks and turnovers and that kind of thing. You would rather take the teams that are in higher scoring games rather than low and lower scoring games for defensive fantasy defenses, at least. Like, what, what does holding a team to seven points really get you? It's four points. That's it. Yeah, it does nothing unless you're in like a league that keeps you up for keeping an offense below 200 yards, which is just yeah, so but rare. You know what? No one plays in those leagues. because Those leagues are fucking stupid. Yeah, and it's so rare to do that anyways, but it like the epitome of it is last year when like the game of the century, whatever people want to call it, when the Chiefs played the Rams, it was like the highest scoring game ever in regulation, and both defenses in terms of fantasy each had like 25 fantasy points because they each had two defensive scores because there was just so many dropbacks in the game. Yeah, and when teams refuse to run the ball, like basically just basically just stream defense against teams that don't run the ball and you'll probably be pretty good. Yeah, like playing anybody against the Ravens is just is a terrible idea. They're going to throw the ball like 20 times and, and have no possessions in the game overall. Yeah, then you're ask, like, you have to ask yourself, what's, what's more likely, a strip sack return for a touchdown on a running play or a sack strip fumble return touchdown? It's the sack strip. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to look at some of these some of these other defenses that at least for like the fantasy playoffs, like the the question, the comment question for the the contest, uh, like there's some spots where you can take risks. I don't know what the Eagles threshold is, but Giants, Washington, the next two weeks is great. But if we trust in Atlanta's pass rush that we've seen for just two out of three games now or two out of four, really. But if that comes anywhere near back, they get Kyle Allen two out of the last three weeks. And he just came off a game where he looked terrible after the first two drives when he saw any sort of pressure. He was just overthrowing everybody. Well, the big thing is if people have, I mean, people who've watched this show basically from week 10 on have been pretty set up for their fantasy playoffs. They have Devonte Parker on their team and I'm pretty sure they have either the Steelers or Rams defense uh, as their D de- or even saints potentially. Cause all three of those defenses came up in line uh, during their bye weeks where they were dropped in bad matchups. Just like, just grab these teams, keep them on your bench and just wait for the playoffs. Yeah, just wait for the playoffs. I think those same people probably already shipped off Odell Beckham before he had to have uh, the playoff schedule that he has right now and just not even involved in this offense. So, yeah, I think so. Like, just to answer the question for me, for the teams that are available, if the Eagles are available, they're probably my favorite streamer defense for the playoffs. And then the Packers are right there just due to the pass rush. You're going to get Mitch Trubisky and then even Kirk Cousins. He hasn't made mistakes. Like, Cousins only has three interceptions this year. They have a decent plus minus that Minnesota team because of that. Uh, but in prime time in week 16 game, I'll take that pass rush for the Packers. Is that in Minnesota or Green Bay? It's in Minnesota, isn't it? Yeah, it's in Minnesota. Yeah, I would like it. I would like that more if they were in Green Bay. Yeah, of course. Cousins just plays a lot better at home. Anyway, let's switch Monday Night Football. The spread in this game, Minnesota at the Seattle Seahawks. It opened at three. It is now down to minus two and a half for the Seahawks at home. Uh, as pointed out a little bit earlier, that the Vikings have been abysmal against the spread outdoors against teams with winning records. I believe they're now one in 18 in their past 19 games against the spread. So that instantly puts me on the Seahawks here. Although I would really want Minnesota to win just to shake up the NFC playoff pitcher a little bit. The over under is 49 in this game. Do you have a particular lean in this game? because Seahawks minus two and a half uh, feels like a pretty good bet to me. And then we'll talk about player props afterwards. 
Yeah, I lean to the Seahawks side of it. And then I have a bet place right now on the over for 49 and a half right now in this game. I just, both secondaries are a little bit shaky. Minnesota has a, a pass rush, which is good. Seattle right now doesn't, and they have injuries to their offensive line. So I think you're just going to have opportunities, but even without feeling for Minnesota, where there's just going to be a lot of passing and a lot of success passing against the outside corners of Minnesota. And then without a doubt, the outside corners uh, for Seattle. And really, even in the slot, there'll be a nice matchup. The big thing here is that if Cousins continues to perform outdoors like he has done uh, against even like reasonable defenses, that without Thielen only digs, you have BC Johnson stepping up and then the two-headed monster of Kyle Rudolph and Big Irv Smith. I think like under completions for Cousins might end up being the play. He can complete a few long ones, potentially. I actually would lean under in this game versus over, now that you think about it. Yeah, yeah. I So I, I think I... I see, I see the, the issues there and honestly like betting any sort of upside and that's what you're doing with the over here and, and Kirk Cousins outdoors is an issue. Um, but I, I think that the way this offense is set up is, is nice. The main concern that this offense runs into and the one prop bet that I like, it it kind of hedges it maybe a little bit, but like with no Thielen, they just run so many two tight end sets that Busy Johnson is naturally a slot receiver, but he's playing on the outside. They don't run that many three wide receiver sets, but when you do, you're going to put Laquan Treadwell on the field. That's a really bad receiving core and you'll have probably Treadwell and busy for most of the game going up against Shaq Griffin. So that side of the field might just become a wasteland. The upside you have though, is cook out of the backfield has been well, both side ends have been playing well. And then you have Diggs, who is just uh, an explosive player on the outside. So I, I think I lean up. I think I lean over still. I would think that the, the way to play this, like I said, Seattle minus two and a half would be my preferred play, but I think I would look towards some of the Dalvin cook props potentially like over under 40 and a half receiving yards. It's four and a half catches for his over. I don't necessarily like that. It's pretty high, but he could turn. It was almost like the Jameis prop on Sunday where it was 15 and a half. Like that's one run from Jameis. Like if he actually gets out into open space, he's going to cover that all in one run. And that's, what ended up happening. I feel the same way about this Delvin cook receiving prop. He might only end up with like three catches, but if they get him in space, he can just go like he's so explosive. Yeah. He's explosive in open space. Um, yeah. It's, it's always like that. You, you can have just one big play and it makes up for the entire, the entire day of the bet. So it's safer, but yeah, I think cooks seems okay there. Like if I'm somebody like myself betting the over, like those overs just naturally seem better. The one prop that I liked was, digs uh 77 and a half i think it was receiving yards as an over and it just really correlates with like the entire game going over to an extent if he has a big game there's a better chance that uh, this game's going to the, the 50 points spot and if not it at least hedges against it so with digs Shaq griffin and trey flowers the outside cornerbacks for seattle they stay on each side of the field they don't move so it's just very easy to get digs in the better matchup against flowers which is a very positive matchup for him and since Shaq griffin is, is not a shadow or anything like that he'll just have a, a favorable matchup for most of that game it's strange, too, because the four and a half catches for Stefan Diggs is over under has been juiced up to minus 160, where the receiving yards of 77 and a half remain at the natural vig of minus 120. I would actually prefer the receiving yards as well. The only other one I would look at, I have no faith like people have been hammering, apparently, based on the odds, the over three and a half catches for DK Metcalf. I don't know about that, but longest reception for DK Metcalf over under 23 and a half yards. I would like the over on that because they're going to take their required two shots shots per week to DK downfield. Yeah, required two shots. He he runs like 75, 80% of his routes. If you look at like any route tree data on next gen stats are just straight go routes on the left side of the field. And he'll get Xavier Rhodes, who has been one of the worst cornerbacks really for like three years now. A lot of injuries kind of hurt his peak of his career, but Xavier Rhodes is like a 125 pass rating against. I like the over on his catches. 
too. Uh, three and a half. Like if it was three, I would like a little bit better for a push safety. That's usually what he plays. But he's just playing all the snaps and 70 targets and a lot over the last six weeks, seeing similar targets for games that Lockett has been active to actually Tyler Lockett's workload. Alexander Madison over 23 and a half rushing yards. I feel like Minnesota is going to come out and try to run the ball as much as possible. This could be, that's why I would lean under. I think it's going to be a quicker game than people expect. Yeah, I really don't have a strong stance on that. It's it's it really does depend on like what really the first or second drive of this game. If Minnesota gets up 10 to three or 10, nothing, there's just so much more likelihood for Madison's extra three to four carries in the game that really get you there. So for me, I like Seattle minus two and a half. I would shade the under and I'm probably going to end up playing over Delvin Cook 40 and a half uh, receiving yards in this game. I think those will be my three biggest leans. I'm definitely going to play the Cook one. I'll probably end up on the spread. I don't know if I'll do the total yet or not. I might even tease that total and tease, like even do a six-point teaser, tease through zero, which is not recommended by anyone, but I'm bad at this, so I'm going to continue to tease through zero. I'll tease the Seahawks and the over, the under up to 55 and a half. Yeah, I like that. I'll take, yeah, I'll take digs on the over 77 and a half. I couldn't find on my end. Do you have an Irv Smith, just, I would say receptions or yardage? Prop? Yeah, I do. So Irv Smith, uh, over under three and a half receptions. That's plus 130 to bet the over on three and a half receptions. And Irv Smith, 27 and a half receiving yards. I might actually like that. Yeah, I like the receiving yards more. Just, yeah, that's exactly where he's been at. He's He's been running the same routes as Rudolph the last six weeks since he's really been in the offense, but he's averaging like 3.4 receptions per week. So his role is just to catch three or four balls. I, I like, and he's, he's averaging, the last six weeks, he's averaging 30, I have it right here, he's averaging 33.6 yards per game. So don't want to just go off of those games. But yeah, I like the yards more. I'll take Herb Smith over and then... Uh, Stefan Diggs over. I've been told, though, that last week I think I went 0-3 on these props, so you might want to take start going the trend to just fade my picks here, but I'll take those two. Well, I, I'm feeling good about the props. I was 3-0 and on Thanksgiving, hit one in each game. Probably should have parlayed those together. And I was 1-0 and on Sunday, so I'm, I'm trying to pick my spots a little bit better here. You can't par- can can you parlay these props like the player ones? or just- it, it, it depends. Uh, yes, you can. If you go like different, they have to be one from each game, though. Uh, yeah, I was going to say like just that's like the that's like the nut move to just prop par, yeah. parlay like the correlating pieces yeah that that's why you can't if you do more than one from a game you can no longer parlay them together because people that's just what, yeah that's what that's what i thought yeah, yeah they, they, you just correlate all the props together yeah of course over receiving yards on these three guys and over passing yards for the quarterback now that doesn't work that way sadly sadly uh, DraftKings showdown for the Monday night game uh, in the captain spot. You can go to Delvin Cook if you like. And if that's the case, you have to spend $17,700 on him as your captain. Only eleven eight as a flex player. The next highest guys are Wilson, Diggs, Lockett, Cousins, Carson, Metcalf. That's probably where you would want to be for your captain spot. Can you imagine using anyone who's not one of those top seven guys as your captain this week? Um, maybe Hollister. I, I was about to say Hollister. Uh, Hollister's like the only one, and really it's just because of the two touchdown upside. We saw it a couple weeks back, and he's just running a ton of routes, being used in the red zone heavily, like you saw earlier in this year out of Will Disley. So they use tight ends well in the offense. He's like the only one, though. There's, there's really, there's just a huge drop off. Like you have the high priced guys, and then it just drops like the 4K range right away. So Hollister at 4,800 as like an outside guy banging on two touchdowns. But for me, for captains right now, I'm looking primarily at Stefan Diggs and then DK Metcalf. Really? Uh, so you're going to, so you wouldn't take, you wouldn't spend up on the Delvin Cook. Is it just because you don't like who the cheaper options are on the slate? So I, I think the one issue that I had, and I haven't built too much here, but just like messing around with it a little bit. 
Um, I, I think, well, first, Seattle's strongest on the ground. They've gotten worse over the last couple of weeks, still ranked right now 10th. Cook's volume is fine. But the one issue when it comes to just player pricing, I really like digs on this slate. And you have Cook at 11,800. So if you're building one lineup, if you want to play Cook and digs, it could still work. But then you're just forfeiting playing probably any of Lockett or one of those quarterbacks. So both quarterbacks being up there at 9K plus, it, it leads me to a spot where I'd rather play digs and either Cousins or get. Wilson in there above getting Cook in there over one of those quarterbacks just to correlate it with uh, Diggs. Like, d- does that mean you would probably have to go to someone like BC Johnson or even Irv Smith if you had to? Yeah, so I like Irv Smith, and the thing with Irv Smith is he's priced below kickers, which is fine. Like, he's averaging over the last uh, six weeks of the year eight fantasy points per game. He gets right on three catches for like thirty yards a game. And the weird thing is he's three thousand dollars less than Kyle Rudolph. He's playing the exact same role, similar snaps to Rudolph this year, uh, and especially the last month of the year. So. He's like the same player as Rudolph, used just as much in the red zone, but he's $3,000 less. So I think you're pretty much getting a kicker in terms of how consistent he's been with the upside of if he scores a touchdown, he's much better than that. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Like, would you would you use someone like Jason Myers as your captain? Not I don't like do you ever use kickers as your captain? No, I I, I know it, it worked. What week did it work this year? The guy had like 30 points in the kicker spot. Yeah, I, for, I forget. Like, I, I actually think the move might be to use Kirk Cousins as your captain and just pray Minnesota gets gets their shit together for this game. No, yeah, quarterbacks in the captain spot are just way under-owned for how much they actually work out. Matt Ryan was the winning captain on Thanksgiving. They'll work out like one out of every six slates, but people won't play them anywhere near that often. So, yeah, so like when I, when I said it, I don't want – I'm not going to probably get to as much Cook in the captain spot. I'll definitely have him in utility spots, but – yeah, Cousins makes sense, and just more so he makes sense salary-wise at 9000 when you have Russell Wilson pushing $2,000 more. And at that point, it's still a fine matchup, but how much more, how much meat do you have left on the bone in your salary? Uh, it, it gets a little bit more difficult if you want to captain Wilson. The only one that I'll throw out there that's a little bit different is BC Johnson, that if we expect this game, you say, like, oh, you can get digs onto his preferred matchup uh, against the Seattle secondary, but... You know, maybe Diggs has a preferred side, and that's the bad matchup that when they get in the red zone, B.C. Johnson is still running a lot of these Adam Thielen routes that we've seen, and that leads to touchdowns, that you could possibly spike a two-touchdown game from B.C. Johnson. He's not super expensive. If you did put him in as your captain, you could probably have Cousins and Wilson and Cook if you wanted to. Yeah, I was surprised to see him come up at, like, he's a secondary interest right now, um, but definitely like a utility spot for me. I was surprised to see him at just 2,600. Like, he'll still probably draw a tough matchup, and just the way that they use wide receivers, the wide receiver too, it hasn't been used as much since Thielen went down, but he is running, like you said, some of the Thielen routes, especially in the red zone, and he's playing, like, he's getting 25 to 30 routes run a week, but he's priced, like, 1000 to $2,000 less than some of these kickers, so he hasn't been producing as much lately, but it's still a fine spot for a, a, a utility player who's going to be on the field for, like, the entire game on offense. $2,600 is a really nice tag. All right. That will do it on the Pat Mayo Experience waiver wire pickups. If you want to get into a draw for 20 DK dollars, smash the like button for the episode. Leave your DraftKings handle in the comment section. Tell me your three favorite defenses to pick up for the fantasy playoffs week 14 to 16. It's that easy. If you want to get into a draw for 60 DK dollars, subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. Download the episodes. Leave a five-star review. DraftKings handle. It's something you like about the show. And boom. You'll be in that draw for 60 DK bucks. Winners announced on the season finale of the the waiver wire pickup show next Monday, 1 p.m. Eastern time on the DraftKings YouTube channel. Sal, you can follow on Twitter at Sal Vetri DFS. Subscribe to the Sal Vetri YouTube channel. Tell everyone what you got going on this week. You back big into basketball now? 
yeah, we're back after the, the Thanksgiving travel schedule of two 12-hour car rides in a three-day span. Uh, we're back to daily NBA videos as well as finishing out the NFL season. We'll have playoff content as well, so you can check me out over there. Uh, just my name, Sal Vetri, on audio versions and then also on YouTube. All right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the PME, same as Facebook, same as the Instagrams where you can find right now the visual of the week 13 running back snap shares. You'll see videos pop up there. There's also giveaways for DK bucks to be had over on my Instagram page too. So you might as well follow me on Instagram. Cute pictures of babies, my baby as well. So that'll do it. Anyway, I'm Pat Mayo. Thank you all for watching. Hit up dkplaybook.com for all of the articles throughout the week and just keep watching because we're going to have tons of shows for you, not only this week and next week, but all over the Christmas season. We're not going anywhere. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.